Well, we're so glad that, uh, that you are here today, and I believe that the Lord has in store for us some, some great things. Once again, just want to greet those that are watching um, via online, the live stream, and all of the various avenues that, that Daniel has created for us so that, so that people can be a part of our, our service here at Gateway. Well, you've heard me say this over and over, and you're going to hear me say it continually, but, uh, but, but there's many stories in, in the book of Mark, uh, but there's only one message, and that is that the kingdom of God is at hand. Well, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you there in your worship folder, you have an outline on one side and you have um, the, the text, the scripture text on the other. And I would ask that you would use that to exegete the scripture. So read it over and over again and then highlight, circle things that, that would stand out to you and then things that, that we would take and, and, and highlight in the text. Then you could put sermon notes to it and then use that this week in, a, in, a, in your devotion, maybe a quiet time, maybe even in a, in a Bible study. But I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you in, in the first thing is this, is that, that we need to ask about what about our, our motives, but what about our attitudes? And then there's a, a verse in there that, that, that shares with us in verse 43, if you will, where Jesus commands the widow, or he commends, rather, he commends the, the widow for her commitment to God. So that is the unabridged outline this morning. So you get it up front, and then you could be looking for it as we continue through our discussion here. About a hundred years ago or so, there were missionaries that were better known as one ways. And, and maybe you've heard that expression before because we do have a number of retired missionaries here at Gateway. But about 100 years ago or so, there was these missionaries that were known as, as one ways, one way missionaries. And the reason why is because they would purchase a single ticket to the mission field. They, they, they did not purchase a round-trip ticket. It was just a, a singular ticket to get them onto the mission field. And instead of packing suitcases to head into their various ministries, they, they would often pack their, their personal belongings into a coffin. Yes, you heard me say that right. That they would pack all of their personal belongings into a coffin. They would give hugs and Kisses and, and goodbyes to loved ones and, and, and to very dear friends. And, and they would leave behind everything that was familiar to them. And, and they would head out to, to the unknown. They would head out knowing that they would never return. A.W. Milne was one of such missionary. The, the story goes that, that he set sail for, for New Hebrides in, South, in the South Pacific. At the time, it was a place found full of headhunters. Every missionary that preceded him, every missionary that had gone ahead before him were martyred for their faith. Milne had come to grips that, that his life was, was all in. It was all in for the sake of the cross. He packed his coffin and he set sail to, to, to a land that needed to hear the gospel. It was not convenient. Matter of fact, it was, it was most difficult at times. I'm, I'm sure that it, that it had to be. For 35 years, he lived and he loved on those folks. 
When A.W. Milne died, the tribe members buried him in the middle of their village and inscribed on his tombstone the following. When he came, there was no light. When he left, there was no darkness. Contemporary Christian music artist Toby Mack says, and I quote, Do what is right, not what is easy. Mark Batterson says, and I quote, God cannot reveal his faithfulness until we exercise our faith. He goes on to say, long before God laid the foundation of the earth, he anticipated and provided for everything that we would ever need. You just need to give him the opportunity to prove himself to be faithful. Each and every one of you this morning, you need to give the Lord, your God, the opportunity to prove himself faithful. You, you need to write this down. And, and, and maybe you won't get anything else out of this, but, but you need to write this down this morning. But, but God will test your faith. There's no doubt. This thing called life, this, this journey of, of life, it will, it will test your faith. In Genesis chapter 22, we see that, that God tested Abraham when God came to Abraham and he said, Abraham, and Abraham said, yes, Lord, I, I'm listening. And he said, take your dear son Isaac, the one to whom you love, and, and I want you to go to the land of, of Moriah, and I want you to sacrifice your son there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that, that I will point out to you. But I want you to take your son, and I want you to go. Now, you need to understand that in Genesis chapter 22, when this conversation is taking place, you need to understand that, that Abraham was, was an elderly man. And, and when Isaac was born in Genesis 21, God gave Abraham, at the age of 100 years young, he gave Abraham his son Isaac. And he gave his wife, who was 90 years young, a son called Isaac. Sarah and Isaac, or excuse me, Sarah and Abraham, they both looked at, at Isaac, and, they, and his name literally means he laughs. They, they looked at Isaac and they said, he brings great joy. And when people see the testament that God has given us, that everybody, there's rejoicing, there's celebration that we have our son. And now in this conversation, God says to Abraham, I want you to take the thing that, that you love the most, your beloved son, and I want you to go now, and I want you to sacrifice him on the mountain that I will direct you to. It's interesting, but that conversation, you have to just, in the arena of Abraham's mind, Lord, what are you doing? You, you have given me this gift. Lord, at a hundred years, I didn't even think that I could expect that, and you've given that to me, and now, Lord, you're wanting to take that away. But the text tells us that Abraham went along with the, the wishes of the Lord and that he, he went and he took his son Isaac. It says that he took his son Isaac to the mountainside. In Genesis 22, verse 3, Abraham got up early in the morning and saddled his donkey. He took two of his young servants and his son Isaac. He had split wood for the burnt offering. He set out for this, piece, uh, this, this place that God told him or would direct him to. 
And on the third day, he looked up and he saw the place that was in the distance. Abraham told his two young servants, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I were going to go over here for a time of worship. And then I will, I will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and he gave it to Isaac, his son, to carry. He carried the flint and he, he, he carried the knife. The two of them went off together. Isaac said to Abraham, his father, Father, yes, my son, he replied. We have the flint and, and we have the wood, but, but, but where is the burnt offering? You can imagine Abraham's heart. And Abraham said, Son, God will see to it that, that there will be a burnt offering. And so they kept walking together. They arrived at the place to which God had directed them. Abraham built an altar. He laid out the wood. And then he took and he tied up his son Isaac and he laid him on the wood. And Abraham reached out and he took his knife to, to take his son's life, to, to sacrifice his son's life. And then there was this angel, the angel of God, who cried out and said, Abraham, Abraham, yes, I'm listening, Lord. Don't lay a hand on the boy. Don't touch him. Now I know how fearlessly you, you, you fear God. You didn't hesitate to, to place your son, your dear son, on the altar for me. And Abraham looked up. He saw a ram that was caught in the thicket. Abraham took the ram and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of that of his son. Abraham named the place God Uriah, which means God sees to it. That's where we get the saying, on this mountain of God, he sees to it. God knew that Abraham would, would, would not hold anything back, and, and he didn't in, in fear of God. To fear God means to reverence Him. To fear God means to know that He is all sovereign. To, to, to fear God, to have faith in God, is to trust Him implicitly and to obey Him without question. Three weeks ago, we talked about how the religious leaders, they came and they questioned Jesus' authority. Someone said, and, and, and they asked this question, would we give God a chance if there's nothing in it for us. Early in our series, we, we, we looked at the rich young ruler. And, and John Walton says Jesus challenged this, this young ruler to, to sell his land, to, to go and sell all of his goods. The land is a covenant benefit shared by all people of Israel. Possessions represent the prosperity that was believed to come to those who had earned favor with God. And so by Jesus asking him to, to go and sell all of his, his possessions, Jesus was asking this man to, to be willing to jettison all of those things in his life that he considered the, the prerequisites of receiving God's favor. This is the, the type of test set before Abraham. And this morning I want to pose this question to you as we look at this text, but are you willing, church, Gateway, are you willing to follow God if there's nothing in it for you? If there's that perception that there's nothing in it for you. And look at our text again. Look, look at Mark chapter 12. Look at verse 41 through, through 44. Jesus sat across from the collection box. 
of the temple treasury and, and observed how the, the crowd gave their money. Many rich people were, were throwing in lots of money. One poor widow came forward and, and put in two small copper coins worth about a penny. Jesus called his disciples together to him and said, I assure you that this poor widow has put in more than everyone who's been putting money in the treasury today. This happens to be the final words that, that, that Jesus, scholarship believes that this is the, the, the final words that Jesus would speak as he was in the temple before he went to the cross and gave of himself for each and every one of us. So the first question here is, when it comes to serving Christ, to serving the church, what is our motive? What should our motive be? Let's just be honest with ourselves. Is it easy for us to, to have a form of God, a form of God, but to deny God? Is it, is it easy to have a form of godliness, but still deny the creator? See, that afternoon when the people were gathered in the temple, they were, they were putting their treasury in the collection cistern. And as I was studying the, the, the text this week, um, they say that there were probably about 13 different cisterns or different places where people could go and, and they could give of the temple treasury, that they, they could give a, a free will offering to the temple now, I don't know, but in, in my mind, the only way that I could describe what that would look like is, is like a big tuba in a marching band. Have you ever seen a big tuba? Have you ever played a big tuba in the marching band before? Kind of this brass cistern, if you will, with a big open face or, or a trumpet that maybe is, is pointed towards the, the ceiling. But I don't want you to miss this, but, but here all of these people were gathered in the temple, and I'm sure that it was packed out, that it was packed to the hilt. The reason why we believe this is because it's Passover. And we talked about how there could be 500,000 people, ultimately that number of people that are, that are coming into the city for the Passover. And so the temple was probably packed full. And we know that there were people that Jesus had healed. And we know that there were people that were anticipating being healed. And then we know that there were people in the crowd that they were the spectators. They were just waiting for the next thing to happen. And then we know that they were the naysayers, the, the religious leaders that were there that were continually questioning Jesus' authority. And now there's these people that it's time for the, the, the temple treasury. And so they're going over to these places and they're just like, ching, 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 ching. And they're just dumping in all of this coinage. Well, you can just imagine the more the coinage, the more it would just resound around the walls of the temple. And, and so if somebody had a lot of coins, they, 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 if their motive was not right, they could go over and they could be putting that change in, cha-ching, 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 and, and be thinking in their mind, boy, I wonder what everybody behind me is thinking. Like, wow, that's amazing. Wow, I am so impressed. Ching, 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 ching. I just want you to know, but the Lord never designed the human body to pat itself on the back. And so having all of that going on, then you have this precious widow. It says right there in the text that this precious widow goes and she gives her two coins. Maybe there were so many people and maybe there was talk and chatter and all that going on, but ching, ching, 
she goes and finds her place. And Jesus does not want the disciples to, to miss what has just happened. Because as we look at this text and as we unpack it, there were people there that had the wrong motives in the temple of God. And then here's this woman who has come, and it tells us that she has given everything, everything that she has in the treasury. And Jesus does not want the disciples to, to, to miss it. And, and Jesus gathers them to, together, and he says, what this woman has done is far more than, than anything that has been given in the temple treasury this afternoon. I look at this and, and I look at verse 43 where Jesus called his disciples and he's saying, all of them have given out of their spare change. But this woman, from her hopeless poverty, has given everything that she had, even what she needed, even what she needed to live on. So the question is this, what is our motive as we, we, we journey through this thing called life? Are, are we all in, which is the title of our message, are we all in for the purpose, the kingdom purposes and for kingdom building? Because if we're more concerned about the accolades of, of man, Scripture tells us that, that that will be our only reward. The, the, the praise of man will be the only reward of the things that, that we've done for ourselves, for, for the sake of, of ourself and for, for pride. If we're more concerned about what others think than that of Christ's likeness, then church, we're missing it. There needs to be this redirect, this refresh, if, if, if you will. And our motives, we need to check our motives. Church, the text tells us that it's all that she had. Two lepta were, that, that was worth about one sixty-fourth of a denarii, which equaled a day's wages for a common laborer. In other words, her offering was a fraction of one penny. So people would look at that and they would say, it is so insignificant. And then when you look on the scale of, uh, uh, of, the, uh, of the funds and when you look on the scale of the currency of the day, what she put in wouldn't even register on the scale. But she gave everything that she had. Everything. She could have kept back one coin for herself, but, but she did not. Jesus used this moment to teach the disciples the, the, the value that, that God places on a wholehearted commitment. This would be later lived out in his own life where Jesus' total surrender of his own self, his own life, his death as an offering, as a sacrifice on the cross for each and every one of us. And I, I say thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you gave it all. I say thank you, Lord, that you were all in on my behalf. I say thank you, Lord, that you were all in on the behalf of my brothers and sisters that, that have gathered here this morning. I, I, I just, I, I thank you, God, for the opportunity that you afforded me to, to acknowledge and to accept that, that what you did for me on this hill called Calvary, that I can receive that precious gift that you gave everything. Chris Tomlin, in his version of Amazing Grace, my chains are gone, I've been set free. My God, my Savior, has ransomed me. 
and like a flood, his mercy reigns, unending love, amazing grace, amazing grace. If you celebrate that in your own life this morning, would you just put your two hands together and give God a praise offering today and say, thank you, Jesus, for what you have done for me. Chuck Swindoll says, go where few people see you. Get your hands dirty doing what no one else wants to do and tell no one what you did. When we can do this on a regular basis and give no thought to recognition, then we can call ourselves servants in the truest sense of the term. Wrong motives, church. Wrong motives do nothing for the kingdom. We can talk all, all about it, but if there's no feet to the ground and if there's no kingdom action taking place, then, then what good is it? Church, God has called us to be the light, to be the light in, in a world in which we reside. Gateway, I just want you to know that we have a mission statement, that we have a vision statement, that we have a rally cry. Our mission statement is to love God and to love others and to serve the world. Our vision statement is to, to know God and to make Him known. And our rally cry is that young families, that young people, that no matter what the age, that people in our communities will come and that they'll have an opportunity to sit in this place and they can sense the anointing, the holy presence of the Lord, that there will be spiritual formation and discipleship. That is what Gateway needs to be. That's what we desire to be. That's what we will be in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Lord, help lead us. Help us to have the right motives. Help us to be a people that's all in. Help us to give everything that we have. Help us to be a faithful people, knowing and trusting that we don't know what tomorrow holds, but we know who holds tomorrow. We can't simply just expect others. And this is where we get ourselves in trouble but we simply can't expect others to, to do what we should be doing. Oftentimes people come and, and, and they, they, they can be very creative that, that the church should be doing this or we should be doing this and, and we should be doing this. And, and I just simply ask, so, so what are you going to do in reference to that? Oftentimes we have great ideas for other people, but we need to take ownership of. We need to move our feet and we need to allow the Lord to use us. I have a, want to share this with you this morning. I know that it's a, it's a very simplified illustration. But this morning, I have this chair. And here's this, uh, here's this line. And I simply want this line to, to be life. Life that we all live life of those that are around us. And I want this bag to be the, the things that, that, that we carry, the, the baggage that we have, the things that are in the closet that we've talked about for the, the last couple of weeks, the stuff that we don't want anybody to know about, but we're hoping that maybe somebody can intervene, that maybe somebody can help to bear the burden. But here's this, here's this thing called life. And church, we can't be a people that, that, that we just want, we want the easy road, if you will. We can't be a people that, that we don't want to meddle in the, in the messy middle, if you will. We, we need to be a people. We cannot be a people that, that we take and we, we just want to hear the, 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 the easy, warm, fuzzy sermons. We can't be a people that, oh, that was great, and we gather together, and what are we going to do for lunch? We, we need to be a people that we take and we're committed to we're committed to a life and a purpose that we are going to preach 
and we're going to share the word that we're going to talk about what God wants us to be and what, what God wants us to do. Why? Because there's lives. There are people that are depending upon it. The enemy would love to say that your baggage is too much for the Lord. The decisions that you have made, there's no way in the world that he would still call you beloved. And people from the platform, people from this congregation need to hear that God loves them, that God cares for them. We cannot get caught up in the simple easy where things that are shared doesn't cause people to be stirred and people's feet to start to move and people that profess the kingdom and the glory of God. Are you with me, church? Because that's where the church could get themselves in trouble. God didn't call us to, to be a people where we're just best friends. God did not call us to be a people where we're just good people. God called us to be a people that, that are a light to the darkness. He called us and commissioned us to go into the world where we live and disciple people and baptize people and to make him known. We can't worry about the nice. We can't worry about the surface. We can't worry about the, the messages that are just the good feelings. What we need is to be a people that are sold out, that people that are all in to serving God. We need to be a people that, that we are about bondage breaking, that we are about living life, hashtag life together with others. Apollo 13 it's a movie that maybe some of us have seen. There's probably some, some uh, students that are in here this morning that, that maybe you weren't even born at this time, but in 1995 there was this, this rendition of Apollo 13 and, and it had Tom Hanks in it and, and a couple of others that, that, that were... Uh, it, the whole movie was about how the, this spaceship was around a, a, an old... Uh, TV console and they're watching all of this play out and, and NASA we're seeing and we're hearing and, and, and I remember watching some of this on, on television but, but there's this one scene, there's this one scene where Ed Harris, he, he, he's playing the part of, of Gene Kranz, the, the man who was the head there that particular day at, at, uh, at NASA and, and there's this scene where he makes this statement or something along this, this line, I'm kind of paraphrasing but failure is not an option. Failure is not an option. And it's not going to happen. These men are not going to die on my watch. And I don't know about you, but my heart tells me that there are people that need to hear about Jesus. And I'm more concerned about telling them about Jesus and getting in the messy middle than I am simply being a best friend or a good friend. Or what you think about me or not think about me as I preach and I share the word. Not on my watch. Because we talked about this the last couple of weeks, but one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I want as many people as possible where the Lord allows them to cross my path that when they kneel down and they see that He is in fact God, that there is a relationship with Him and that He can be and they will be with Him for all of eternity. Not on my watch if I can help it. Yes, I'm a broken person. Yes, I, I'm full of mistakes. We all are. But we seek as a holiness people. We seek as a Wesleyan tradition. We, we, try, to, we try to do the best that we can to, to live a holy Christ-like life. And we hope that that will become contagious to others. Secondly, our attitude. Reflecting not only on our motives, but our attitude. Our attitude needs to be like that of Christ. That we need to, to pick up our cross and we need to follow him. 
And it's not easy. It is not easy. Jesus in, in Matthew 16, 24, he, he tells his disciples, all who want to come to me, all who come after me must say no to themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Mark Batterson says, and I quote, as we cultivate the gifts of God, the gifts that he has given us, we can begin to, and here's a warning sign that's flashing on the cluster of our vehicles. We can begin to rely on those gifts instead of relying on God. The very things that God has given us to reach the world, then we start to rely on them ourselves. That's called pride. That's when our greatest strength then becomes our greatest weakness. And Batterson shares this story. He uses this as an illustration. It was God who gave Lucifer a beautiful form and a beautiful voice. Those gifts were originally used to glorify God. Then Lucifer started looking into the mirror. He started reflecting on his own beauty. He glorified the gift he had been given instead of glorifying God. That's the enemy. That's Satan. He was cast out of, out of heaven. Church, how can we expect God to anoint? Let me just pose this question, but how can we expect God to anoint and bless when there's spoils in the camp? Just ask yourself that question, because oftentimes we, we come to the Lord and we say, Lord, if you'll just do this, if you'll just do this, Lord, if you'll do this, if you'll just do this, and we have one hand behind our back, because it's like we want to pursue God 90%, but we, we want to keep something behind our back, and it does not work that way. Because Scripture tells us, and we can go back to the Old Testament, for the sake of time, I won't read it, but, but Joshua, he comes to the Lord, and he says, Lord, what's going on? We're, we're losing battle after battle. Lord, you came to me when, when Moses, he, he took his last breath. You said, I am to be the next leader. Lord, you said that you would lead us into the promised land. That Lord, that you would take care of us, that you would do this, that you would do this. And now he's laying face flat on the ground in the dirt. He's torn his clothes and he's saying, Lord, where are you? Lord, what is going on? And the Lord responded by saying, I did not break covenant. I haven't gone anywhere. But what you have done, what the people have done, is they have taken spoils from the battles, and they've, they've brought them back. They've dug holes. they put them in their tents. They're keeping things for themselves. I cannot bless. I cannot anoint if there are spoils in the camp. And you can see the right there simply the, the life application there. How can I bless? How can I anoint if there are spoils in the camp? I think the same holds true in, in our own life. So what is our motive? What is our attitude? And then Jesus commended the widow for her commitment. Church, revival needs to start right here. Revival needs to happen right here. Our hearts need to be stirred. We need to be focused. Check our motives. Check our attitude. But revival needs to start right here. We have to have an all-in for the purposes, for the sake of the kingdom. It needs to be an all-in. It needs to be an all-in concerted effort. Matthew chapter 12, verse 25, Jesus is talking and he's saying, when there's division, when there is not unity, when there's not a concerted effort, when there's division in the house, that house will collapse on itself. I think there's a lot of wisdom there. Psalm 133, verse 1, how wonderful, how beautiful. This is a, a, a psalm of David when brothers and sisters, when they, when they get along, 
It's like this costly anointing oil just flowing down the head and, and, and through the beard, flowing down Aaron's beard, flowing down the, the collar of his priestly robes. It's like the dew on Mount Hermon flowing down the slopes of Zion. Yes, that's where God commands the blessing and he ordains the eternal life. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 10 the Apostle Paul says, I put this to you urgently, church. He's talking to the church in Corinth. I, I put this urgently to you. You must get along with each other. You must learn to be considerate of one another. And in this, you will cultivate a life in common. How will the world know, church? We talked about it this last week, but, but how will the world know? How will they know? How will they receive the word that we talked about. The world being out there and the, world be, and the word being here. How will they know? And we talked about because we need to make an effort. We need to pick up the word. We need to engage the word. And then we need to take strides. We need to take steps to go into the world in which we live. And scripture tells us, and this is biblical, scripture tells us that if you are a believer in Christ, you've accepted him as your personal Lord and Savior, that you receive the blood that was shed for you on that hill called Calvary, that you are to be prepared in season and out of season. When somebody comes and asks you about the good news that you have in your heart, that you should be able to tell them. Now, does that mean that you need to go to, to four years of seminary? Does that mean that you need to know everything from cover to cover? Absolutely not. I, I, I wish that I did, and I went to seminary. But you know what is important? Is that you share your testimony and the goodness of God and what God has done in your life, and we're going to hear more and more of those things, how God is moving, how God is engaging. But you need to be prepared in season and out of season. How will the world know unless you pick up the word and you take it? That you are feet to the ground. That you are in action. That, that you are taking and having the right motives. And that your attitude is right. How will the world know? A number of years ago in closing, I, I, I often go down. I have for a number of years. Pastor Roger uh, being a former district superintendent of Los Angeles, he would know the area. He knows that we have some churches down, right down in the heart of Los Angeles. Do you know that in a three to five mile radius in downtown in the city of Los Angeles, thousands of people are living on the sidewalks? And still to this day, I go down, and it's not about me, but still to this day, I go down, and sometimes I just sit on a curb, and I have conversations, and sometimes they're not even coherent. But I just sit and I just listen to the stories and the, and the brokenness, taking the word of God. We have no idea that when we go and the efforts that we make and the motives are right and the attitude is right, we have no idea what God can and will do with those things because he says that his word never returns void, not a single time. But I remember on one occasion we were down, some of us we were down and we were feeding some folks and, and we had been there most of the morning and, and pretty much the line had diminished and, and so we go out and we, we get in the vehicle and we're getting ready to, to head out of the city and, and, and one of my friends, he, he wasn't in the seat and, and, and I didn't know where he was and, and, and you don't like to just be off in places by yourself, I mean that, that's, that's understandable and so I told the rest of the folks that were with us, I'm going I'm to go and I'm going to look for him. On the way down to Los Angeles, my friend was wearing this beautiful coat, 
that his wife had just gotten for his birthday. And I was saying, man, that, that is an awesome coat. And if you know me, or you'll get to know me, but I love the outdoors. And I was saying, we just need to go camping just so you could wear your coat. That coat is so awesome. And so I go back into this establishment, and, and I'm coming around the corner, and, and I hear somebody that's just sobbing, and they're just weeping, and they're like, they took my coat, they, they took my coat, they, they, they took my bus pass. And I stopped, and I just stood there at the corner, and my friend did not even know this for a few years later, that I, what I had witnessed, because I wanted to keep that moment for him. But I saw him unzip that really nice coat that his wife had just given him for his birthday. And he took it off of his back and he put it on this homeless gal. And she said, but they took my bus pass too. And he reached in his pocket. He didn't even look to see what was there. But he just took out all of the money that was in his pocket. He says, I'm sure that this will take care, that this will buy you a bus pass. Nobody around. What are our motives? What are our attitudes when we talk about kingdom purposes and, and following Christ-likeness and, and, and doing kingdom building? Jesus commended the woman for her commitment. And lastly, as the worship team is coming, but, but I've looked in Scripture and I can't find it. We don't know her name. We just know her as the widow that gave of everything. But we don't see anything and we don't read anything else about her. But you know what I would like to believe in the arena of my mind? Is that Jesus took care of her and the needs that she was met with as soon as she walked out the temple that particular afternoon. You know why? Because I go back to the passage in Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus is saying, why worry? Do not worry, my friends. Do not worry. Because if I take care of the lilies of the field, and if I take care of the birds of the air, how much more important are you? Are you with me this morning? She was all in. She was all in, and it was far more than, than, than what was distributed that particular day. I say glory to God. My heart has been blessed and moved this morning. Church, this is the word of the Lord today. Thanks be to God. Blessings to you.